One of the questions that I get asked fairly often is, how do we find a new church, or maybe more specifically, uh, what are the things we should look for in a new, new church? You know, all of us find ourselves from time to time, uh, whether it's through travel or through some uh, issues in a church that we, we leave, uh, needing to find a new place to worship and fellowship. And it's important to look for the right things. And of course, at the top of the list, I always say, make sure that you get a sense of what they believe about Christ and the gospel. Uh, and and the scripture, all these things kind of tie together, right? We 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 must be in a fellowship where the leaders of the church are proclaiming the truth, where people value the word of God. And, and these days, uh, there's a lot of feel good Christianity, a lot of uh, a lot of me centered worship, <laughs> which is a contradiction in terms. So we gotta make sure that we evaluate how do these folks regard the scripture? And do they proclaim Christ? And do they proclaim the word of God and hold fast to the inerrancy of God, uh, the inerrancy of the scripture and the gospel? Do they preach the true gospel, justification by faith alone, and so on? So those are those are the kind of things that are at the top of the list. Today, we're going to see in our text from Philippians that uh, there's some things to learn about the character of of those who are serving you, those who are leading a church. And so if you find yourself looking for a congregation, or if you are a church leader, I think you will see that uh, Paul has some some helpful things here for us as we uh, are find ourselves in either of those positions. So welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Doug. If you're new with us, I, I work for Cross to Crown Ministries and serve at the New Covenant School of Theology. And here in these Monday through Friday Bible studies, we dig into the Word of God so we can know it and learn how to study it. So good morning, Karen. Glad you're with us. Good morning, Martha. Uh, yes, we had a lovely Christmas holiday. I hope you all did too. Uh, good morning, Carol. And anyone else who's out there and listening this morning, feel free to say hello. We'd love to know that you're with us. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, we can see your uh, your comments, your chat. And uh, hopefully we won't have any technical problems today like we did on Friday. I think I know what the problem was. It was with our uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, so I'm trying a, a different approach here. So <laughs> we'll see if that, if that works or not. Uh, good morning, Jenny. Glad that you are with us. So we took a week off last week uh, from Philippians to talk about Emmanuel and uh, get ready for our Christmas season. Today we're jumping back into the book of Philippians. So we are in chapter 2 and we're going to pick up in verse 19. Good morning, Melanie. Glad you are with us as well. So Philippians two nineteen. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So Paul has been uh, giving a lot of instruction to the Philippians thus far. We've seen some wonderful truths that, uh, that we love and know from the book of Philippians, uh, where Paul begins by talking about their partnership with him in the gospel. Uh, we discussed that, uh, that famous verse uh, that uh, he's convinced that God who began the good work in them uh, would be faithful to complete it. And we talked about how that doesn't mean what we normally think it means. So if you missed that episode, that uh, that. A study you might want to go back and look at that. We talked about how he he prayed for them that they would grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus. 
and recently we talked about how Jesus humbled himself to the to the point of dying on the cross and how God raised him and exalted him to reign and rule over heaven and earth and that every knee will bow before him. But here we get a little glimpse into the heart of Paul and Timothy. Think about the circumstances. Paul is in prison. He's in jail in Rome, but he loves these people, and he is not primarily concerned about his own well-being. We've seen that. He said, for me to die is gain. Here he is imprisoned, and he knows if he were to, he knows his execution is coming, and, and for him to die means he gets to go be with the Lord. That is, that's an upgrade, right? That is a, a transition to a much better place. He says, so if I die, that's gain to me, but if I live, that is better for your sakes. Uh, that's Christ's work in you because I will remain and have more time to help you grow in your knowledge of the Lord. He loves these people, not merely from a a place of sentiment, but he loves them dearly and wants them to grow in Christ. And I just find it amazing that here this man is in prison for the gospel. He he didn't uh, commit crimes. He, He didn't sin. He didn't do anything that deserves being imprisoned. And yet here he is locked up. And his concern is not for himself. He's not self-centered. He's not self-pitying. Oh, poor me. My circumstances are just unfair. How many times do we clamor for fairness? We look at our circumstances and we say, Lord, this is just not fair. You shouldn't be treating me this way. Look at all I've done for you. You can see how someone like Paul could have that mindset, right? Look, I've spent my life preaching the gospel for you, and this is what you do for me? You throw me in jail? That is not his mindset at all. His concern is Christ and the gospel and the people that he is responsible for to grow in the gospel. Now, remember, he started this church in Philippi. He loves them like a father loves his children. He he is the the spiritual father, if you will, uh, of these folks. Uh, He was the one the Lord used to preach the gospel and bring them to faith. And so he, he feels this loyalty and this love for them. And so he wants to know what's going on. Uh, as he sits here in his jail cell and uh, chained to a soldier, he says, I want to be encouraged. I, I, that word encourage is not the normal word we get in the New Testament for encouragement. Uh, it's a word that combines, in, in the Greek, it combines two words. One of them is the uh, normal word for psyche. It is the word suke, the word for what we transliterate as psyche or soul or spirit, but it's a verb form, which is kind of interesting. And then it combines with it a uh, this the prefix for you that I'm sorry for good. It's the it's the Greek word you good. So I I will have a good psyche. I will have a good spirit as I hear from Timothy the things concerning you. So as Paul is in prison, he's wanting to know how things go with these believers in Philippi, and he's planning to send Timothy to them so he can send back a report. He he desperately wants to know how they're getting along. But it's not simply, you know, are you enjoying life? How's work going? Are you on good, all in good health? Those kind of things. He wants to know about their 
love for Jesus and their love for the gospel. And he's going to send Timothy, he says, because I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. I don't know how many people are with Paul at the time, but at least in this stage, here as he's imprisoned in Rome, he doesn't have a lot of people that he can trust to send to the Philippians who will have the same concern that he has for their welfare. Oh, they may be concerned. He might find some people that are concerned with, is the church growing? Or some of those kind of uh, markers that we tend to look at. But Timothy, he says, will come with a genuine concern for your love for Christ. And he says, I don't have a lot of others in that category. So think about the, uh, the ministers that you might look for as you're seeking a church. If you were in a position, maybe you relocated and you were looking for a place to join. And again, we talked about the gospel-centeredness, the, the priority of the scripture, all those things. But as you look at the ministers, what kind of men would you be looking for? Who would you want to lead you? Well, you want somebody like Paul and somebody like Timothy who is genuinely concerned for your welfare and, and again, that's not defined in the terms that the world defines, but what matters to Christ? Look at the next verse. For they all, these other men that are with Paul, they seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Well, what are the things that Christ is concerned with? That we grow in our love for him and our love for others. Let me pull you back to what we looked at last time where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God, the, the Holy One, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's at work in you. And then he explains what it means to work out our salvation. And he, he listed things like this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's what we're to be about, to, to not be self-pitying and complaining, not complaining against God and disputing with him or with one another, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent, children of God above reproached in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. These are the kind of things, the kind of character traits we are to manifest. So the question is, do your elders, do your pastors want you to grow in these things? Do they preach and teach and set an example for you that you won't grumble against God, that you won't be a fighter and constantly stirring up and agitating others with, with selfishness, that you'll be blameless and innocent, above reproach, as children of a God who is holy and above reproach. He says, I want you holding fast to the word of life. That's, that's the scripture and specifically the gospel. So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. He poured himself into these people so that they would be holy and blameless. And he doesn't want to look back on that day when he stands before God to give an account and think, oh, I wasted my time with them because I taught them, I showed them, I loved them, and, and yet they're all about themselves. They're all self-centered. 
But no, if, if you are walking selflessly and devoted to Christ, Paul says, I will glory in you on that day when, when he is examined for his work. And then he said this, if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, uh, this is taken from a, a pagan um, ritual where the, uh, the sacrifice would be burned on the altar. And then as that animal is, is being cooked and offered to the, to the gods, they would pour wine on it. And of course, it would immediately, it was so hot, it would immediately dissipate in a, in a cloud of smoke or steam. And, and Paul says, that's what, what I'm doing. I'm being poured out. I'm, I'm being poured out over this sacrifice, which is you, not in a pagan ritual, but as an offering to God himself. He says, I share my joy with you in that. I'm willing to give myself, I mean, poured out as this libation to God on your behalf to share my joy with you and you share your joy with me. So he says, I urge you rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So again, the question is, are your ministers, are your pastors and elders the kind of men that willingly pour themselves out on the altar so that you will not feel good. That's not the point. Not so you're happy. Not so that you have an enjoyable Sunday morning service, anything like that. But so that you are pursuing this blameless, Christ-centered, righteous, and holy devotion to Christ. Knowing that they, that your ministers, will stand before the Lord and give an account so that you will be that holy and blameless person. Is that the kind of ministers that you have? Are those the kind of men who serve you day in and day out, week in and week out in the gospel? Well, Paul here says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And I'm sending him because there's no one else I have of this kindred spirit, the same spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your well for your welfare. So many preachers and teachers and elders seek their own interests. Now, of course, they don't say that, right? No, no pastor comes and says, here, it's all about me. But what do they talk about? What's the priority that uh, comes across in their, in their leadership? Is it how do we grow the church? How do we get more people in the chairs? How do we get more money? Because we've got this project and that project. And, and, and there's a place to raise money, certainly. And, uh, and the scripture talks about that. Paul will talk about that in Philippians later on. And we certainly want our churches to grow numerically. That, that's a biblical concept. We see that in the book of Acts. But the primary concern is, are our people growing in the love for Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if we don't have ministers, preachers, and teachers who are consumed with the glory of Christ, then we're not going to have churches that are consumed with the glory of Christ. One of the principles that Jesus laid out was that a student becomes like his, his teacher, so you are going to be like your leaders. 
It's just a fact. You are like your parents. They're our first teachers. All of us can think of examples of how we are like those who raised us. So if you grew up in a, in a home with a mother and father, you have behaviors and views of the world that you inherited from your parents. It's just how it works. And if you were adopted, then, then you're not as much like your biological parents, but like your adoptive parents. If you just had one parent, then you take on traits of that one parent. If you were raised in a foster home or whatever your circumstances, we are like those who influenced us when we were young. But that doesn't stop when we get older. In your teen years, in your college days, in your young married life, whatever, you take on the traits. Right now, you are taking on traits of those who have influence over you, those who are your your teachers. The church you go to, the church you are a part of, your elders, your leaders, you are taking on characteristics of those men. You are believing what they teach. You who, who follow me, you who, who join me every morning, you are learning things about the scripture from me. I'm a teacher. Hopefully I'm not the sole teacher in your life, but I'm a teacher in your life. You are learning things about the scripture from me. And you're going to reflect that in your life, in your thinking. So we need to always be very, very careful to choose wisely who we allow to teach us and speak into our lives. And I just find it fascinating with all the kind of people that Paul was surrounded with, that he says, I have very few, like Timothy, very few who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Most, he says, seek after their own interests. So again, ask yourself about your leaders in your church. Are they primarily about themselves or are they concerned with the things of the Messiah, Jesus, what he values, what he esteems, what he says is important? I see a couple of comments here that I want to want to just check in on. Uh, we see that uh, Yanyas, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I hope I am. Yanyas has uh, has joined us. Glad to see you with us uh, this morning. Warren, glad to see you from Canada. Welcome. Uh, Yanya says this, uh, all seek their own is a verse that I noticed when a young Christian, remember this letter is to the church in Philippi, and not to the world or to the unconverted, that is the the Philippians is written to Christians, exactly. Uh, it's a shame to see the hearts of Christians not so much different than that of the world or unconverted. And again, I would stress, if we are around churches, if we know churches that are not much different from the world, it's primarily because their leaders are not much different from the world. Again, this this principle is all throughout the scripture, but especially Jesus taught this. You disciples will be like your teachers. And so if we belong to churches where the leaders are worldly, when they are consumed with, you know, they're preaching feel-good sermons, uh, where they're, they're simply um, not much different 
from the the entertainers of the world, the influencers. So this is a big thing on social media right now, influencers. And they are they are drawing huge followings. And it doesn't it doesn't take uh, a lot to become a significant influencer. If you are the kind of person to use Paul's language uh, that tickles ears, that tells people what they want to hear, you can get a huge following. I have no doubt I could grow uh, my ministry, my YouTube channel, my following on social media. I could grow it to tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. All I have to do is say what you want to hear. Tell you how wonderful you are. (laughs) Tell you how, how great you are and how much God wants you to thrive in everything. And by thriving mean grit, get rich and, and experience nothing but pleasure and happiness. You know, I, I like to remind people that today is a good day. This is the day the Lord has made. And I want us to be joy filled people because the Bible wants us to, the Lord himself wants us to rejoice and be full of, of, of real joy but that's not the same thing as saying that God's going to give you everything you want, right? I could draw a big following. That's not that hard. But when we have preachers and teachers who are consumed with human-centered, feel-good philosophy, well, that's what their followers are going to be looking for and consumed with. If our preachers and teachers of our elders, our shepherds, are primarily concerned with exalting Jesus Christ— then their followers are going to be much more concerned with exalting Jesus Christ, and we won't run into uh, the things that Yanyas here is uh, is speaking of. Um, too often, though, that's not the case, is it? Uh, so be careful who you allow to influence you. It matters. It matters. And Warren agrees. Uh, thanks for your comment there. Paul says Timothy, unlike those men that uh, are seeking after their own interests, Timothy is proven. Look at this, verse 22, but you know of his proven worth. Oh, may that be said of me, that may, may that be said of everyone who's listening to me today, every man who is a church leader. May we be like Timothy, proven that we are not committed to uh, the things of the world. We are committed to Christ and the purity of his gospel and the sufficiency of of his gospel and his word. May we be proven like that. Paul says, He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. This word serve is a form of the same word that begins this letter. If you remember, Paul said, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. We talked about how that word means I am a uh, a slave, not not merely a a servant who's a hired hand, who you know, it, not not an employee, not someone who is simply paid for his service and he can come and go as he pleases. No, it's it's the word for slave. Paul says Timothy has proven to be a slave with me, and he has served like a child serving his father. Now this is this is the old school traditional apprenticeship model that uh, that Paul is describing here. We don't see that as much in our day. Uh, a, a child typically would take on the same vocation as his father in Paul's day. 
So if you're a farmer, then your son is going to be a farmer and you're going to pass on that trade and experience to him and he will learn farming from his, from his father. Uh, well, that's not so much how it works today. Most of you, I'm guessing, don't do vocationally what your father did. But Paul is saying, I have brought Timothy along with me and he has watched me preach the gospel. He's watched me live to serve Christ and now he has become that same kind of man, and he's proven himself. And Paul can trust Timothy. For you who are in church leadership, may I encourage you, bring some younger men in the faith alongside you to watch you serve. My dad did this for me. From the time I was uh, you know, old enough to walk, uh, as he ministered in houses after households, as he preached the gospel, as he did counseling uh, and entered people's homes, as he led small groups, uh, he took me along with him. And I didn't always want to be there as a 10-year-old, as a 12-year-old, as a 14-year-old. Uh, I'd, you know, I'd much rather be playing sports, playing baseball with my, my buddies. Uh, but he would take me along, and he took me along. Uh, he was also a maintenance supervisor for a, uh, a health care center, a nursing home. And uh, he would take me along as he fixed things. That was his job, was to fix broken wheelchairs and refrigerators and, you know, you name it. And, uh, and you know, I look back now and realize I wish I had paid more attention as he fixed all of these things were broken because I could save a lot of money if I, uh, if I had learned those skills. I, I didn't learn those skills. Uh, but I also watched him as he interacted with these folks who, uh, this was the kind of nursing home that, uh, you know, most of the people there were, were in their last days, their last stages. And, uh, and they were lonely. I didn't see a lot of visitors when I went with him. And to watch my dad minister to them and encourage them and, uh, and, and bless them. And most of the time, the conversations would lead toward a discussion of Jesus as I watched him do those things. And then again, as I went to his, the homes of people in his church, he was, he was an elder. If I didn't mention that he was an elder, uh, pastor. And, uh, and I, as I watched and listened how he would patiently preach the truth and encourage and edify, build up and, and challenge people. I learned a lot. And, you know, for most of my teenage years into my early 20s, I was convinced that the Lord had called me to a life of music and I wanted nothing really to do with, uh, with vocational pastoral ministry until the Lord said, nope, you're, you're a pastor. And for the next 25 years of my life, I would serve in that capacity. Uh, and as, as I did serve as an elder and a pastor, I realized how much influence my dad had on my, on my ministry. And it wasn't because I enrolled in dad's seminary. It's simply because that's how it worked. This man took me under his wing, and he happened to be my father, and I learned so much from him about what it's like uh, to, to love the church. If you are a pastor or an elder, or you're wanting to be a pastor or an elder, and you're enrolling in seminary, or you're trying to get your academic education, which is very important, make sure that you surround yourself with a man or two who can show you and model for you what it means to be a true shepherd of the sheep. And if you are an elder, 
find some young men who you can incorporate into your ministry and show them uh, what it's really like. Seminary, the education, the, the scholarship, you know, that's the easy part for those of us called to ministry because uh, we love to teach. The hard part is being faithful as examples and getting into the, the mess of people's lives and the hard things of people's lives. And, and we need to be shown that. It needs to be modeled for us. Uh, and uh, so find those, those men and people need to be proven. Future elders need to be proven. I love what he says here about Timothy. He has proven his worth. So often today, uh, guys graduate from seminary and then they are sent uh, straight into the pulpit, straight into the church leadership. That's not good. They need time to be, uh, to be mentored, to, to be uh, uh, proven, as, as Paul says here. Yanya, uh, I see, has a, another, another statement, another comment. Let me, uh, let me pull that up for everyone to, to see. He says, uh, in New Testament times, a slave had no wages or personal rights or personal downtime, except when the sleeping, unlo- uh, except when sleeping, unlike a servant who had wages and had time off. Word comes from one who sweeps the floors, a dust gatherer, the lowest of the lows in position. So we are to be in this way in Christ. Unfortunately, in Bible college, I seen too much of men who clamored uh, over each other uh, for the top positions. Yeah, that's we're just no different from the world when we do that, right? We we look at church leadership or ministry, different ministry levels as climbing the ladder, as uh, achievement in in those kinds of worldly standards, rather than spiritual things. Uh, yeah, we want to get better. We should all be seeking to improve. If if your calling is preaching and teaching, you should work and hone those skills of preaching and teaching. If it's service, be the best server you can be. Uh, whatever your role, if you're a leader, then be a great leader. And we have so much to learn in all these areas. Uh, but we also realize it's it's the Lord's standards that matters, not man's standards. So appreciate that comment. Very good. Paul says, I want to send Timothy to you. I'm hoping to send him to you uh, here in verse 23. As soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust the Lord that I myself will also come to you shortly. So you see, Paul cares. He wants to be there. If he can't be there, he's going to send Timothy. But he's not just going to send a, a warm body, just any man who's willing to go uh, to these people. He's looking for a man who is just like him, he cares and loves. So again, as I think about how do we look for churches and what should we be looking for in ministers and how should we be as ministers and preachers and teachers, uh, this stuff matters. We should not just look for credentials, whether you value a PhD or graduating from this seminary. We shouldn't just be looking for people who come from our traditions. Uh, We should be looking for men who truly love the flock and those who want to see us grow in the things that matter to Christ. And those are not often the same things that matter to men. So it's a big deal. So if, you're in, if you find yourself in a position where you're looking for a church, absolutely start with scouring their websites. What do they believe? These days we cannot presume that churches hold fast to the gospel 
that they uphold the word of God as the inerrant and sufficient uh, provision for all that we need to know him and know how to, uh, to live in this world. We, we can't presume on this thing, so we need to, we need to learn and we need to, to read carefully. And I would encourage you, find men who you trust to, to help you examine with you uh, what their doctrinal statements are. Listen to sermons and see what kind of uh, truth these men preach. But then spend some time getting to know the leaders and see where their heart is and see if they are like Timothy, like Paul, uh, who's they love their flock, not again merely with the emotional, sentimental, feel-good kind of love, but love them with the same things that Jesus loves, that he wants to see us grow, that they're willing to call sin, sin, and then point us to the gospel point us to the Holy Spirit, point us to the scripture and all of those things. So reflect on that, ponder that as you go. Uh, think about your own churches, how, how, how they're doing in this. And, and if you're a leader, how you can be a better leader. And uh, then tomorrow we will come back and see not only another uh, great leader of the church, but maybe a little different understanding of what worship is than we typically think. So until then, God bless, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus.